I'm Ken Hemmings, and he is Chris Lang, and welcome to another of these regular property briefings. Again, a warm welcome to you, Chris. Well, it's good to be back with you, Ken. From what you've been saying over recent times, it would seem there's a lot of money floating around just looking for a home. Why is that? Well, Kent, it's probably a sign of the time. As I think I mentioned in a couple of earlier podcasts, despite what we think in Australia of the state of our economy, the Asian, and it's not just Asian, I mean German and American funds also, see Australia in pretty good shape, safe economic place to invest. So, yeah, I mean, there are huge amounts of money. And your question relates specifically to the CBD areas around Australia. We're talking sort of Sydney, Melbourne, first up and to a lesser degree, Brisbane and Perth. And um, these investors, most of them are of an institutional type or very, very large, wealthy, private Asian buyers are coming out and they know the main streets within the CBDs in both Melbourne and Sydney principally. And if a property is available on these main streets in the cities, that's what they're after. They're buying the address and effectively the property comes free. Their attitude is that you can never go wrong buying prime Main Street locations. In some cases, the properties are relatively new. By that I mean in the last 10, 15, maybe 20 years. Some of them are much older. There are some instances where they are buying properties that are clearly C and D grade buildings and they're demolishing them and applying for permits to develop high-rise apartments. But principally, their their decision-making process is based on the address of the property rather than the underlying substance that the property brings with it. And how healthy is this for property investors? Well, the answer to that really depends on whether you already own property or trying to get into the market. And it's not every individual investor, particularly, I suspect, with most of our listeners, that will be able to own a CBD property. Now, while I've advocated purchasing strata-titled offices, I'm not keen on CBD strata-titled offices, unless you want to occupy them yourself and you've got to be in the CBD. I don't think they're value for money. The yields seem to be lower, and I'm not convinced yet that there's going to be a lot of growth there. I think it's the near city or established office precincts in the metropolitan areas where the strata title offices are. Now, what's happening is that you ask whether it's healthy. Because the money seems to be pouring in, with scant regard being paid to the underlying fundamentals of what makes or goes to make a good commercial property investment, 
that therefore means that the legitimate investor, when I say legitimate, the one that has done their homework, who understands what is needed to make a commercial property viable, is probably at a disadvantage in that the prices being paid for some of these properties are forcing vendors that follow to have expectations above what realistically their properties should be worth. Now, as I said, mainly that's in the city, the CBD, or the fringe of the city, but that will start to flow out into the suburbs. And so, therefore, if you already own property there, you're in a good position to take advantage of this wave of activity that's going to happen over the next three to four years. That said, and it's getting harder and harder to find them, but if you can identify a property and have a a vendor that is perhaps more astute to or understands the fundamentals and is therefore more realistic as as to what the price ought to be, you can do a deal with that vendor or identify a property where there is some hidden value that you can add to it over the course of your ownership. So the secret is to find that property and whereas you probably three, four years ago, you only needed to sift through about maybe four or five properties to find that. You're now having to look through probably 20 or 30 properties and most of which you are discarding because the price relative to the length of the lease or the age of the building, it just it doesn't make sense. The numbers just simply don't make sense. And so you need to have a sharp eye to arrive at that conclusion very quickly so that you don't waste time. You can just leave it, move on to the next property. And I know that I have a number of outstanding mandates at the moment to help people find property. And yes, it's frustrating. As I say, look, I'm not going to dish up properties I'm not comfortable with. I'm sifting and sorting through the what's on on offering. I'm trying to get properties before they come onto the market, but even then we've got vendors who, because other properties they've owned, if they're developers, or they've seen friends that have achieved crazy prices, their expectations are often too high. And that's not making my job any easier. And I know these clients of mine want to get into the market, but there's no point in simply buying a property for the sake of buying a property. You know, it's better to wait an extra three, four, five weeks and and let's find the the property that suits your needs and one that will serve you well over the term of your ownership, whether it's the next four years or the next 10 years so that you know that you have a a sound investment going forward. So what you're saying is never lose sight of the fundamentals as far as commercial property is concerned. And look, you may well have covered them during various podcasts, but would you mind just restating some of those golden rules? Yeah, you're right. We may have covered these over the various podcasts before, maybe not of grouping them all together. 
But yeah, let, let me quickly run through. Obviously, just leading on from the the last question, you, you need to do a thorough, in-depth analysis of the various properties that might be available, and it, it's it's about doing the research, doing the comparisons, gathering the historical information, and it's not that difficult to to find that information. You generally will be able to get that from the selling agent or if you have set up a relationship with a, a valuer, as I suggest that ought occur, well, then you find you can be supplied with the information you need to make a quick and easy comparison. It also probably means using the app that I've got, the high return filter, to quickly determine which properties ought to get onto your shortlist. So as I said, you're not wasting valuable time doing in-depth analysis on properties that should never even be on your shortlist. So I think that's that's probably what you should be looking at. You, you, you shouldn't be chasing yield as such. I mean, there are going to be some properties, and, and I have clients that will come up with these Properties that are actually have good tenants in them, and structurally the properties are, are, are good, but they're located in regional areas, and some of the yields they're, they're offering are really quite attractive. I mean, 9% or more, but the reason they have to offer you those yields is because there is probably not going to be that much growth from a capital point of view. And so you need to be compensated and to attract you to that property, they have to offer you a higher initial yield. So as I said, do your research, don't chase yields and just start to look at the underlying fundamentals that make for a sound investment. Presumably you would suggest seeking expert advice to fill in any gaps? Yeah, well, we've discussed that in the past. And putting together that consulting team, you've got on the property side, the building side, the legal, accounting, tax, superannuation, if you, you're planning to use your superannuation fund, all of these people are invaluable. And you see, unless you are a full-time investor, you don't have the time to to put together all the skills that you may need. Now, that doesn't mean you don't you shouldn't undertake courses to learn and read books and, and so forth. And that's why I've set up the home study courses that I have. And the real purpose of that is not necessary to make everyone who goes through them a standalone expert in the field. But it, what it means is that it raises your level of understanding so that at least you can ask the right questions and query the advice that you're being given because the last thing you should do as an investor whether it's in commercial property or shares or whatever is to just blindly follow advice you need to know enough to question and have the person giving the advice validate what it is that they're they're proposing that you should do in making the investment so you put together your consulting team 
so that you can very quickly get the advice. In other words, you're looking at a property and you think you can add value, maybe with a spare land. You can talk to your building con construction consultant and very quickly on the back of an envelope get an idea of what, what you can add, how much it's going to cost, and then your property consultant can tell you, based on the area of the addition, what further rent you'll achieve. So therefore, you can very quickly decide, is this a property you should buy? Can you add value? If so, how much more value? And as a rule of thumb, you should add at least $2 for every dollar you spend in making that improvement. Ideally, it should be three or four, but at least you should get back twice as much as you spend on the improvements that you, you make. So, yes, always get your consulting team in place and have them fill in the gaps in any skills that you may or may not have yourself. What about when it comes to establishing how much the property is worth? Well, we sort of touched on this earlier in having the valuer on your team to, to give you that sort of advice. However, there's a difference between being told what it's worth and actually ending up paying too much for the property. Now, you've got to remember that commercial property is, should never become a personal quest to secure the property. Residential is a bit different because there's a motion tied up, you're going to live in it for I don't know, seven, eight, nine, ten years sometimes. Commercial property is purely a numbers game. There's no emotion in it. And so having the advice beforehand and knowing a figure up to which a valuer would support is paramount because that's the figure you can't exceed. It doesn't matter if the vendor comes up with reasons why it's more. You can pay that, but you need to know the figure that it's going to end up being valued at because that's the figure that the lender is going to use to advance you the funds. Now, if you've got additional equity you can throw in and you have a very good reason why you want to buy it. I mean, it, it may be a property adjoining the one that you have for your own business. Now, you may initially buy it as an investment with the idea of expanding into it. Therefore, you may be prepared to pay a premium. But you do that knowingly, not because you have to have the property and there's no logic and reason underpinning the decision that you're making. So there's, as I said, no room for emotion and always seek advice as to the figure up to which a value would support because that's what your finance is looking at. Is the entity in which you purchase the property important? Yes, the entity is always important. And one of the first things when I, I'm acting for a client and we go along to the solicitor who's on my consulting team is the first 10 minutes or so is spent with their tax partner where the client will scope what he or she plans going forward to achieve in buying the property. It might have to do with family planning. It might be the super annual, whatever it is. And then the tax lawyer will provide advice as to what is the appropriate vehicle, whether it is a unit trust, whether it is a hybrid trust, whether it should be a discretionary trust, whether it should be a partnership, 
whatever would best suit your needs and aspirations going forward. And the time to make that decision is at the beginning. The vehicle doesn't have to be in existence when you sign the contract, but when it comes time to settle, that vehicle needs to be there because the contract will will be bought in your name and or nominee. So you have the right to nominate a related entity to you control or have a major shareholding in so that that can ultimately be the purchaser going forward. So, yes, it is important because there are so many issues. It might be asset protection as far as creditors getting access to that, their hands on that property as a result of something that may happen in your business in a totally unrelated entity. And the last thing you want them to do is to, to be able to claw back anything from the entity owning the property just because something has happened elsewhere in your life. So there is a, the idea of protection and getting the right vehicle to achieve the, the aims and aspirations you have going forward. Do some people misjudge exactly how much they can invest? Yes, people quite often misjudge both overestimating and underestimating how much they can spend. And there are two reasons for this. One, they're not sure how much equity they have. They know the cash they've got, but there may be equity tied up in other properties. They don't necessarily have to sell to extract that with your own home, a line of credit, or you could refinance an existing property, another commercial property you might own. So when you work out how much equity you've got, You've then got to look at the the property now that you are looking to buy. So if you intend to borrow 70%, your equity represents 30%. So most people say, well, whatever the dollar amount of the equity is, I divide that by 0.3, which is 30%, and that'll tell me how much I can pay. However, you have to also pay the acquisition costs, the major one being stamp duty, which is 5.5%. So you've got stamp duty, you've got legal fees, you've got mortgage-breaking fees, you've got any other acquisition costs that are involved. Now, generally, I, as a rule of thumb, allow an additional 8%. As I said, stamp duty at 55 being the lion's share of that. So then what you need to say is, well, cash or lines of credit I've got don't represent 30%, they actually have to represent 38%. So therefore you divide that by 0.38 and the figure you then achieve means that you can spend that money, settle on it, you have enough equity for the 30% against the 70% borrowing, plus you've earmarked an amount of money to cover your acquisition costs as well. And this is probably the biggest mistake people make is because you cannot borrow to fund your stamp duty and things like that. You have to have that cash in hand to meet those costs over and above whatever you pay for the property itself. Obviously, much of this is common sense, but I just felt it would be helpful as a, a reminder for our listeners. Oh, no, not at all, Ken, because, I mean, sticking to the basics is what will help in building your ultimate success as a commercial property investor. 